I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. I'm very proud to announce our new sponsor, Katsu Global. I love their products, and I'm so thankful for their support of this podcast. I'll tell you a little bit more about Katsu later on in this episode. This episode is a little bit different from our usual conversations. Today, I am answering questions that we gathered from our followers on Instagram. If you're not already following us on Instagram, but would like to, our handle is at The Pursuit of Gold. For those of you that may not know my personal background, I am an Olympic gold medalist, world champion, World Cup champion, two-time NCAA champion, and a 19-time U.S. national champion. I shattered my foot three months before Olympic trials in 2000. I've had two major wrist surgeries, and to top it off, I have a titanium plate in my neck now after a two-level fusion, so I know a little bit about injuries and coming back from them. After a nine-year retirement, I began diving platform again competitively, and at the age of 43, with my four kids in tow, last summer I finaled on platform at the U.S. Olympic trials with just a couple of months access to a 10-meter platform after the lockdown, so I know a little bit about longevity and adversity. In this Ask Me Anything episode, we talk about starting sports at an older age, dealing with injuries and mental blocks, epic advice that I've received, being an underdog versus a favorite, and purpose. You'll hear me a few times mention a course that I'm launching again soon. If you want more information on this course, join the waitlist for Confident Competitor at laurawilkinson.com slash learn. I also mentioned the confidence journal that you can get started with right now. I created this journal to help you keep your head in the game and get you ready for your toughest competition. It is specifically designed to be quick and effective so that you can begin to take charge of your mindset. You'll start your days off positive and focused, and you'll end each day discovering lessons and building blocks to continue growing that confidence. You can order your copy of the Confidence Journal at laurawilkinson.com slash journal. Make sure you smash that subscribe button and give us a five-star review if you are enjoying the Pursuit of Gold podcast. And please tell your friends about this podcast so that we can continue to improve and grow to that next level as well. All right, I believe that there's gold in your future, so let's dive on into this episode. All right, our very first question is from Lucinda, and she says, how'd you get into diving, especially at an older age, and realized you had potential? That's a pretty cool question. Um, I was older, for those of you that may not know my backstory. Um, I was 15 when I started diving, which sounds kind of late, but I did have a background in gymnastics. I was not the world's greatest gymnast. I think I was about a level nine, like learning some 10 routines when I quit at 13, almost 14. But even at that age, I kind of realized that my my dreams had been to go to the Olympics. I wanted to be the next Mary Lou Retton, you know, now kids see Simone Biles in the same light, you know, and I just kind of knew that I, I should be farther along and progressing faster than I was um, at that age. And the thought of back then, it was kind of just hanging on to that level of skills to, to compete in college and, and to do that for like five years sounded really boring to me. I wanted to continue learning and, and pushing boundaries and trying things. And um, I just kind of realized it was time to move on. But that that dream of the Olympics was still in the back of my mind. I just recognized at that point I needed to find a new sport. And so you know, I tried a bunch of different things. I tried 
track and softball and tennis. And I even did a year, my freshman year of uh, of the drill team, which is like the dance team um, at our high school, you know, which wasn't really Olympic bound, but it was something I enjoyed doing. But I still wanted to find that that Olympic potential, you know? And so when I found diving the very end of my freshman year of high school, um, you know, I was told I was too old to start something new, but I don't know. I just, maybe I was very bullheaded and I said, no, I, I think I can do this anyway. I just really wanted to continue growing. And I just knew something in me just said, you're capable of more. I don't know that I really had all the talent, but I, I wanted it. And when I started diving, I mean, I excelled pretty quickly because I was next gymnast. And so I kind of had some of the skill set. I knew how to flip. I knew how to twist, um, you know, and I was learning pretty quickly. And I was I was in a group with a bunch of ex-gymnasts. So we all kind of pushed each other and that, you know, competitiveness it was a good, healthy competitiveness. And we all got really good, really fast. So I was very fortunate to be, you know, with that group of uh, girls. And it really wasn't that I, I thought I had potential. I just always wanted this thing, you know, and it was my coach who sat down to see what my goals were that I finally, you know, admitted to somebody out loud that, hey, I want to go to the Olympics. And he said, okay. And he's like, this is what we need to do then. And so I think that just really validated these like crazy dreams that I had that like, that's, they're not so crazy. Like this is actually something you can try and do. So I'm not sure if it was ever that I recognized my own potential. I just wanted this thing so badly that I was going to pursue it, whether it was switching sports or, you know, I I was just going to pursue it no matter what. I was going to find a sport that I could go to the Olympics and I was going to find a way to the Olympic Games. The next question is a little bit on the same lines. It says, I am 24. Is it too late for me to start diving and compete? Definitely not. You're, you've missed the junior circuit. That goes to 18 years old, but I only did a couple of years in the junior circuit. So no worries there. There is um, senior level competition and there is master's diving for anyone over 21 as well. So even if you're at the beginning levels, you can still compete masters. They do it by different age groups. And, um, you know, it, it's all levels and you get people that are young in it, that are in their early 20s. And you get people that are all the way up in their 90s, still diving, still competing. And they love it. And those I have heard those master's nationals are like the most fun. It's sounds like they just have an absolute blast. They're doing the sport that they love. They're hanging out afterwards, going to dinner, going to cool places, exploring. They have meets in very, very cool locations. They have world masters. There's all kinds of things. So if you are interested in diving and competing at any age, give it a whirl. I think at the very least, you're going to try something new. You're going to learn something and you're going to have a blast. The next question is a really good one. It says, best piece of advice you've ever received. And oh my, I have some really amazing advice that I have received over the years. I know you guys have heard me talk about my coach, Kenny Armstrong, who has just been dropping truth bombs in my life um, since I was 15 years old. Uh, He's absolutely amazing. Um, But two people have said some things that have really stuck with me besides Kenny Armstrong. Um, And I want to share those stories here because I'm going to have Kenny on really soon. I've talked him into it. I just needed to get a few technical things so I can interview him in person. That's going to be really fun. But the two other pieces of advice that I want to tell you about, um, one was from a Canadian diver named Terry York. She was actually a really good friend. She is actually a really good friend uh, of my coach, Kenny. They were on the same team together. They both made the Olympic team in 76 for Canada. Um, She was also on the 72 Olympic team. 
And she told me after I made the Olympic team in 2000, right after trials, we actually drove up because that was in Seattle, Washington. And we drove up um, into Canada into a really cool town called White Rock where they live. And uh, we stayed with them for a couple of days. And she gave me the most incredible advice because in 76, when she made the Olympic team, the Olympics were in Montreal, which is in Canada. So that was, you know, her home country. And that's a really cool thing. I mean, I can't even imagine that. That has been like my dream to be able to compete for your country, in your country. Like I just, man, it's just got to be the coolest feeling ever to have that home crowd advantage at the Olympic Games. Like that's just so epic to me in my head. But she had that opportunity. But with how amazing that sounds, there's also a whole lot of pressure that comes with that. And she said that was really hard for her. And so her advice to me going into my first Olympic Games was, hey, look, you are at the Olympics. This has been your dream. Like soak it all in. When you get there, enjoy it. Like just soak it in. You're at the Olympics. You are, you're in your dream. Like you're getting to do all these things. Like just live it up. But when it's your time to die, when it's your time to compete, that's when you just let all that go. And at that point, you're just in another diving meet against competitors you've competed against so many times, doing dives you've done a thousand times. You know exactly what you're doing. And you've just got to kind of let, you know, enjoy it when you first get there, then let it all go and really be in that moment. And you're just diving. You're just doing this thing that you know so well. There's no surprises in that itself. And so I think that was really, really helpful for me. I took it to heart. And when I walked into the Sydney Olympics, I did. I soaked in everything Olympics. I love the opening ceremonies. I love seeing the rings everywhere and the torch everywhere, seeing the flame. It was like looking at my dreams, staring me in the face, seeing the Olympic torch, you know. And so I did. I soaked it all in. But when it was time to dive, I remembered that this is a diving meet. This is what I love. This is what I came to do. This is my thing. And I wholly allowed myself to stay in the moment of diving at that point. And that to me was such good advice. Another really memorable piece of advice I got was in 1996 as I missed making really my first chance at Olympic trials. So I had been diving about three years, not very long, but I had a full 10 meter list. Um, I was doing really well. I had been fourth at the nationals before and I needed to be top eight at the spring nationals to qualify for our Olympic trials. And um, I had won the prelims. So I was doing really well, but I'd never won before, you know, and so I kind of freaked out going into finals and I didn't know how to handle it, you know, kind of got to walk through that to learn how to handle that kind of pressure. And I ended up getting 10th and I missed making the Olympic trials in 96 by like two points and was absolutely crushed and devastated because, you know, that was my whole dream since I was a little gymnast. And I remember Mark Lindsay, who was the 1992 Olympic champion. We had been on a couple of meets that spring um, over in Europe together. He came up to me after he saw how devastated I was. And he said, look, like, I, I know this just sucks. It's got to hurt so bad. I get that. But remember this and let it be the fire. Like let it be the fuel that lights the fire that burns hard for the next four years. And you come back and you just dominate. And he was always a very intense athlete. And and I loved that about him because that was just the way he was wired. And again, I took that to heart. And those next four years, I put everything into it. And I I used the emotions. That's what Mark was really good at. He He liked to dive angry a lot, but I just learned how to use my emotions. 
good, like angry, sad, whatever it was, just putting my emotions into what I was doing and diving and not leaving any stone unturned. And I let that miss in 96 be my fuel for that fire burning into 2000 where I came back and won Olympic gold, just like Mark Lindsay had. So that was pretty epic advice as well. This next question is really interesting. It says, when you won the gold in 2000, did you think people were wrong to doubt you? And he had actually written me um, an email kind of describing this a little bit more. He kind of explained when you won the gold in Sydney, you you were such an underdog that it was considered one of the greatest upsets um, in sports history, you know, but is it really right to label competitors as underdog? Like his concern is that should we not be sticking this label on people? It is kind of cliche, you know, um, should we be giving them more credit? Or did I feel angry? Like, how did I feel about that? And so I think this is a really good question. And I don't I don't think it's wrong to label people as underdogs or as the favorite to win. That's just kind of how it goes. And and naturally, as humans, you assess situations and you, you know, you want to pick your favorite or who you're going to root for. And like, I think that's a really good thing. And yeah, I did. I did struggle sometimes seeing teammates or other people who were being touted as medal chances or, you know, these are our people we're putting all our hope in. I felt very, I guess what's a good word for that? Like kind of dismissed really just kind of like, nah, she broke her foot. She's whatever. She's here, but whatever, you know, we're just kind of kind of blow her off. She doesn't count. And I did feel like that a lot. And I, it hurt. It was hard. But at the same time, that is what made me great. It made me fight. I mean, when I was kicked off my high school diving team for being a waste of space, yes, obviously it still gets under my skin today, but I am so glad I was told that because it lit a fire. And sometimes we need that kind of fire lit under us. And at that level in sports, you have got to be able to handle that stuff. If you don't, you will not come out on top. Everyone is going to have some kind of pressure, some kind of thing that they're dealing with. And, you know, you use these opportunities to rise up. I mean, if you want to hear about that, like our last episode with Michael Hickson talking about learning to pray for rain, like we want adversity, we want obstacles because that's when we rise to the occasion. So, I don't think being labeled an underdog is a bad thing. I think fighting for something, it gives you that like, that fuel is just such a perfect description, that that fuel to push forward and to overcome because you want this thing and you're fighting for it. Sometimes it is so much harder to be the favorite to win. There's a different feeling going into it. After I won in Sydney, I came back in Athens in 2004 and I was considered one of the favorites. Um, you know, some people still doubted that I could be up there, but others, because I'd won the World Cup earlier that year, did favor me to win. And there's a different kind of pressure when you're coming back as a reigning champion. It's a whole different thing. And even if even if other people aren't putting that pressure on you, you start to have those expectations of yourself. So it's a very different thing to learn. Like you'll see a lot of people, they can fight and they can chase and they can get to the top. But to repeat that is a very, very difficult thing. And a lot of times that's a lot harder than being the underdog. And we love rooting for the underdog, right? The crowd tends to get behind the underdog because it's this unexpected person who sometimes we can all relate to, you know, coming and bursting onto the scene and making all their dreams come true, where the favorite or the dominant person, you know, sometimes people root against them because they want this underdog to win. So a lot of times being that favorite is a much harder place to be in. But again, the best ones will still rise and will still do it. And I think both are extremely fun to watch. The next question says, well, it's really kind of a topic to discuss. It says mindset after a loss or it did not finish and moving forward and training well. And yeah, that's tough. And that's a big part of sports and life. If we're going to be honest, we all have those moments in life where things just don't go well. 
But these are such great opportunities. First of all, it's okay to have emotions about it. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to just lose it and just kind of want to cry or vent or whatever. Like, make sure you are allowing yourself to experience that emotion. If you are stuffing it in and trying to avoid the emotion of what happened, it will come out later in a much uglier way. It will begin to turn bitter. It can make you um, very, it, it just kind of begins to poison you from the inside out. Let your emotions out because in a way it's grieving and we have to grieve losses, not just of people that we lose, but like when you lose a dream or when you lose a goal, when you lose something that you were planning on or you were expecting or you were hoping for or working for, that is a loss. It's a type of loss and we have to be able to grieve that to move past it. And if you don't, you can't really move past it. You can try to keep going, but it will always be back there nagging at you if you don't deal with it. And you have got to walk through the difficulty of feeling the emotions. And then once you have felt those and experienced those, you can begin to like kind of lay them aside and look at it logically and analyze, okay, what happened here? What didn't go well? What can I do better? What? How do we change this and, and improve upon that for the next time? So you really, it's it's about grieving the loss first. It's about grieving whatever happened first. Then once you get through that process, you can start looking at it from a better point of view, from a more logical perspective of how can I improve on this, change this to become better next time. So, I mean, don't sit in the grief for like forever, you know, but give yourself a few days, a few weeks, whatever the timeline is, a little bit of time to process it, then begin to create a new game plan and analyze and work on what happened and what is going to come next. And honestly, this is something that we talk about in my course, Confident Competitor, as well. Um, I am about to relaunch that. So if you are interested in, in being part of my course, Confident Competitor, you could go head on over to laurawilkinson.com slash learn, and you can sign up to be on the waiting list there. So you'll be the first person to get emails as soon as we are ready to relaunch that. So it is coming soon. Get excited. If you want to get a jump on things um, before we get that launched again, go grab the Confidence Journal at laurawilkinson.com slash journal and you can kind of start your journey toward confidence. There are some great tools in there to help you learn you. <laughs> you you get to know yourself better and how to process things, how to change your mindset, the way you're talking to yourself, all of those things just within a journal. Super quick, super effective. laurawilkinson.com slash journal. Favorite, least favorite dive was the next question. So I like a lot of my dive, like most dives. I really don't hate any of them. I think I go through seasons where I really, really don't like some of them. <laughs> um, notoriously for me, my least favorite has been fronts. For some reason, I just struggle with that timing off the tower sometimes. Um, but I've also gotten tens on that dive. So I, I know I have the ability in there, but it's it's the one I just struggle with. It's just a timing thing and it gets really annoying for me. And I'm now learning how to pick up my visual cues and spot it. So I think that will help, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> Um, but that 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 tends to be my least favorite. Uh, my favorite, I've always loved backs and reverses. Um, I think those are really fun, especially after I got lost and then learned how to see my visual cues again and spot. Now now they're a lot of fun. I've always loved twisters, love arm stands. So I I love most of them, but gainers would probably be my very very favorite. I first started using katsu after I discovered it could be used for recovery. After speaking with a Navy SEAL friend that had used Katsu to help him recover from traumatic injuries, I decided to give it a try for an ongoing tricep issue I had. Within the first week, I noticed the cramping I had in my tricep would completely stop after a Katsu session. 
It also helped me recover much faster after platform workouts. After seeing such great recovery, I started to add Katsu into some strength training and plyometric workouts as well. And the craziest side effect that I noticed was that I was hardly ever sore from a hard workout that I did while wearing the Katsu bands. I feel like Katsu has given me the ability to get stronger while recovering faster. Katsu is the pioneer and gold standard of the emerging blood flow restriction market. Navy SEALs, world champions, and gold medalists use Katsu daily for improved performance, quicker rehabilitation, and unprecedented recovery from hard workouts, intense competitions, and even jet lag. Katsu was invented in Japan and has been used at every winter and summer Olympics since 1988. Katsu Global offers a variety of easy-to-use products that can be used safely and effectively in the comfort of your home, office, or during travel. It can be used for any workout or between training and competitions for recovery. To learn more about Katsu and even get 10% off, go to laurawilkinson.com slash Katsu. That's laurawilkinson.com slash Katsu. K-A-A-T-S-U. I love this next question. It says, being an athlete yourself, how does it feel watching your kids play sports? Oh, it's such a mixed bag. Um, I love it. I, I truly love watching them find their way and find what they love. My oldest has tried a bunch of different sports and she has finally kind of found her passion, which is volleyball and totally out of my element. And I don't know much about it. And I love that because she first started in diving because she saw mommy diving. So she wanted to dive. And it was really cool to watch her. And she, you know, she went through a lot of ups and downs with it. She really enjoyed it, but it got scary for her and she needed a team sport. She's not wired like me. I'm an individual sport kind of person. She needed something with that interaction with other people. And after, you know, diving, gymnastics, some other things, she finally found her way to volleyball and absolutely is just flourishing. She's passionate. She's determined. She's already setting goals for like two years from now. Like it's really, and she's doing that all on her own. I haven't told her to do any of that. She's just into it and loving it. And so that's naturally coming out of her. And it's really cool to have watched her go through that process. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, it was kind of hard watching her dive from the respect of it's hard not to say anything. It's hard to watch and not have input because I know what she should be doing. And so that was really hard for me to bite my tongue, but I wasn't her coach. And I didn't want to, she's like six years old. I didn't want her to be taking it home and, and doing you know overwhelming whatever. I wanted her to walk her own journey. You know, if she was going to be great at it, that was going to come from her, not from me. And so that was really kind of difficult to watch, but it was so cool at the same time because she's doing the thing that I love and we got to do synchro a couple of times, which was just so special to me because I don't think any of my other kids are going to dive. So that was pretty special. But really... Now that she's in a sport that I know very, very little about, um, but I can play with her in the backyard and she's teaching me technique and she's really into it. Um, I absolutely love watching her flourish there. My other kids are still kind of figuring out what it is that they're going to do. Um, one has said she is not an athlete. She is an artist. And I respect that, although she will run sprints with me. And so that's really cool. Maybe one day she'll go for track. But I love, absolutely love watching them find the thing that lights them up the way that I feel like diving lights me up. So that is like the ultimate. Okay, I wanted to touch on a couple of questions that I just get a lot. Um, and one of them is about injuries. I get so many messages about injuries. I'm injured and I can't train. What can I do? Or I haven't been able to train much, but I have a meet coming up. Help me. Or I'm really frustrated that I, I just keep getting injured and sidelined. Like, how have you been able to continue diving for so long? Injuries, man. That is just such a hard part of sport. But you guys, injuries can be a gift. 
an absolute gift. Um, I have had major injuries. I have had what they labeled, quote, career ending injuries. And here I am at 44 still diving. So it's a hard boat. So there's a mix here. Like you have got to make sure you are getting injuries taken care of. Make sure you are talking to your doctor or your physical therapist. Don't be afraid to get more than one opinion on what your injury is. You know, one doctor doesn't always have the answers or may not pick up everything. Like it's okay to get two or three opinions on things to make sure you're making the right choice. I jumped into one wrist surgery a little too early because I just wanted it fixed and I did not get a second opinion. And the first surgeon completely messed up my wrist. I can't bend it anymore. He cut a tendon and, and I got a weird party trick where I can't raise my, my ring finger anymore. So be wise, be smart, get more opinions, make sure you are getting the right treatment for whatever it is your issue is. Make sure you are doing all kinds of physical therapy or rehab, whatever it is that that you need to do to take care of that injury to make sure you are not just healing, but you're going to be stronger on the backside so that it doesn't happen again. Make sure you are doing that. Only you and you alone are responsible for doing that. So don't cop out. You can't blame other people for not doing the work. You have to do this. This is your responsibility. That's number one. Number two When you are out and you can't be training full time, you will be doing your rehab or you will be doing this other stuff, but you will have extra time. And with that time, don't just feel sorry for yourself. Don't just get lazy. This time is such a gift that you do not have when you are full time training and going to school and doing all the things. You have a little bit of extra time. Use it. Whether it's studying video, whether it's closing your eyes and sitting on the edge of your bed and walking through your sport. You know, for me, I walk through and it's like I'm, I'm seeing myself dive. I'm, I'm playing myself frame by frame, making sure I'm doing the right actions at the right time. I look at it in first person, like, like as if I'm doing the actual dive. And I also try to see myself in third person as if I'm a video, like watching myself on video. And people think it's all easy to do. But let me tell you, the first time I tried to visualize myself like in three, third person trying to do this reverse, simple reverse dive, I couldn't make myself go in vertical on my head. It takes practice. Visualization, mental training is not easy. People people tell me, I have a meet in two days. What can I do to be mentally prepared? I'm like, well, it's going to take more than two days. So this is stuff you have to start implementing far before you get to a competition to be ready. And if you have an injury, this is your opportunity. This gives you extra time to start working on those skills. You know, and if you are not injured, that's wonderful. Make time. But when you have injuries, this is the number one thing I will tell people to do. Take care of your injury and then train mentally. Everybody says sports is 90% mental, but no one trains that way. Not one. I can pretty much guarantee you that. I mean, I had an opportunity when I was forced into doing it, when I broke my foot and I was literally training mentally for over six hours a day. But other than that, I have never trained that much mentally. I've been to the point where I've had other injuries and I have have really upped the ante mentally. And I do things outside of the pool or outside of the gym where I am working on my mental stuff, but it's not going to be six or eight hours a day like I'm spending, you know, when I'm sidelined for something. So if you are injured, take advantage of that time and use this for your advantage. It really will help you jump back in faster. It will help you improve quicker because you're not just going through the motions. You are actually practicing perfect technique in your mind. You are figuring out, I mean, you can even, when you close your eyes and you start implementing your, your all of your senses, you're not just seeing it with your eyes. You can actually feel what you're doing. You're actually firing muscles like from the neurons in your brain. You're starting to, to react with the right muscles that are going to be doing all of these skills. You'll be blown away by what you can do if you do this consistently in that time. 
And again, if you want more insight um, and detail onto how to do these things, sign up for the waitlist for Confident Competitor. It is coming soon. LauraWilkinson.com slash learn. Go sign up for the waitlist there. And another one that I receive a whole lot of messages and questions about are mental blocks. Um, I know in gymnastics and diving, this is very common. I'm sure it is is not unusual in other sports as well. I just tend to know more about these sports and I know it's a big issue in those. And mental blocks are tough because it can it can be starting from so many different places. And a lot of times we just assume it is sport related and we're just having trouble with something and there's fear creeping in or whatever it is. But a lot of times the issue is not starting in the pool or in the gym. Sometimes the issue is starting at home or in your personal life. We have this way of carrying stress and anxiety and it begins to burden us so badly that it comes out in our sport looking like mental blocks and things like that or this ultimate fear that is overwhelming and it's actually not coming from your sport. So if you are having a mental block, if you are dealing with fear of a very large scale, It is likely not starting in your sport. It could be starting at home. Start looking at what is going on in your life. Are you struggling somewhere? Is there anxiety coming from something, a relationship or a situation that you're in? You know, start start looking at that and and seeing if we can get to the root issue and start healing from the outside into the sport. Um, You know, if that's not it, if everything feels good in your personal life, it could be your sport. And from that point on, I would say just break things down, like start going back to the basics of whatever it is that you're struggling with. Always walk back to the basics. Um, That's what I do. If I'm struggling with either a fear, um, I can't fix something, whatever it is, I will go all the way back to the very beginning and just start breaking it down. And the more you can deconstruct it and start over and then build it back together, you you grow confidence in that way. So break it down. Don't be afraid to go all the way back down to the basics. I know sometimes people feel like that's very defeating or it's very belittling to have to go backwards. But let me tell you, if you want to get better, sometimes you have to take two steps back and you have to break things down and start over. I do that all the time. And I have won every major world title that you can win. And a lot of times it's because I started over. I did not pick up visual cues. I was not spotting the water in dives for like two years. I closed my eyes and I had to finally fess up to my coach because I was supposed to add a flip. And I knew to add this flip and do this back three and a half, if I wasn't seeing visual cues, I was going to get hurt like really badly. So I had to fess up and say, I don't know how to spot. So I went from Olympic champion to falling backflips on the one meter and the three meter to learn how to spot the water. I went all the way back to the beginning. But guess what? I learned how to spot. I learned to back three and a half tuck. Then I learned at pike. And now I, diving isn't scary anymore. It's, it's way more fun now because I had to walk backwards and do those basics and walk through that really challenging time. But man, it was so worth it. So if you had to go backwards, if you're struggling through relearning something or you know, you're just, you're just struggling on an issue, trust the process like and breaking it down. It's okay to go back to that. It is very much worth it in the long term. So have that long-term vision. A lot of times our sport, even if you're a sprinter, the whole process is a marathon, not a sprint. So have that long-term vision and hang on to that. All right. I saved this one for last because I think it's such a good question. This is from my friends over at the Jedberg podcast. Shout out to you guys over there doing some awesome work. If you haven't heard their podcast, go check it out. The Jedberg podcast. They asked, what's your purpose? After having achieved so much, what keeps you going every day? 
Well, I kind of want to break this into two parts. So I have always been very goal oriented. Um, I just naturally have been that way and I've learned about it as I've grown up. Um, that's what I talk about. And a lot of the things that I do is I'm very, very goal oriented. And so even when I've done really awesome things, I've always wanted more. I've always strived for more. Like my my whole goal wasn't, I mean, I wanted to win the Olympics, but I also wanted to find out what I was capable of. How good can I be? How hard of dives can I do and do them really, really well for like nines and tens? Like how how far can I actually push that envelope? What am I humanly, physically capable of? That's just been a driving force for me. I'm just, and, and I'll make those goals. I'll say something audacious like, you know, I'm this young kid, but I, I want to be a woman doing a back three and a half somersault pike, you know, and we ended up doing that. So setting these crazy big goals that are totally out of your reach. And a lot of people will probably say unrealistic. I think that's like, don't set realistic goals, guys. I'm just going to tell you that. If they're realistic, I'm putting that in air quotes, or if they're something you're already capable of, those aren't goals. Goals should be things that are out of your reach, something that you have to strive or change or get better in order to do. And when I set goals, they're generally pretty crazy. I mean, that's probably why I'm, I was 43 at the Olympic trials last year. Like I like big, crazy goals. That's just the way I'm wired. And I think you get so much more out of life and sport when you do that, because you, if you don't try to do these crazy things, you'll never get as far as you would otherwise. Like if I, if I wasn't trying to win the Olympic games, I likely wouldn't even make the Olympic team. Like you have to strive far. I mean, my goal three times was to win the Olympics. Did I hit that goal every time? No. But I did some crazy awesome things, making three Olympic teams, winning worlds, winning World Cup, like doing all those things because my goals were set so high, because I put the bar way above what everybody thought was possible, because I still had hope. I still wanted to reach that. But even if I didn't, even falling short of that was still a very mighty achievement. So setting huge goals and being very consistent and determined to go after them. That gives me purpose. Like that feels so good to me to just be in the hunt. Like I I love the hunt. I think it was like Eric Thomas or or somebody like that that was talking about um I think it was the lion. It's like they don't just like getting the kill. It's the hunt. You've got to love the hunt. And that's what I love. I mean I love training as much as I love competing. Competing is exciting and it's fun, but the hunt to get there is almost better. Like sometimes when you get to the meet, you're like, man, I kind of wish it wasn't here because I love that process and that hunt and that work. There's just something so fulfilling about that to me. But the other part now, the flip side now is that at 44 years old, having done all of these things, not really sure where I'm going at the moment. I don't have these big goals currently because we're just trying to figure out our life. My husband's taken a new job and you know I have four kids and mom being mom comes first. So it's kind of been a hard year for me trying to figure out, well, what are my goals? What am I doing this for? But for me, my purpose doesn't just lie in having goals and it's not just in what I'm doing. I know that I have worth and value because God created me and he told me that. And for me, diving has always been a beautiful way to feel really connected with God because that is a gift I know he gave me. And when I do it with everything that I am, it feels like worship and it feels beautiful and completely fulfilling to me. And I have found other things in my life where I can feel that same fulfillment. You know, it's creating like my book and the journal and the course, like doing these things for you, doing this podcast, it's very fulfilling for me. And I have purpose in that because I know it's it's not just for me doing this stuff, but it's for you. And it's giving back to all of these people and and hopefully sharing this light and and this love and and just all these good things. Like 
that is really fulfilling to me and gives me that purpose. But, you know, and there, and there are moments where I just, I don't really want to dive anymore. I just, I kind of want to be done, but then I don't know, God just changes my heart and I get all fired up again. I'm like, no, I still love it. (laughs) I still want to do this. It just, I think I feel that way sometimes because it gets hard with four kids and this, you know, when I was younger, diving was my thing and it was all about what I was doing, you know, and now it's not. And so it's hard to sometimes fit it back in. So it's just a different perspective. And I'm still learning how to not just juggle all these things, but how to you know, shift my priorities to where diving isn't my number one priority. My, my family is, you know, and then diving will come after that. Um, and learning that I, I don't have to be so intense all the time, but I can actually just fully embrace it and enjoy every step of the way. Um, it's just a different, I mean, I've always enjoyed it, but to, to not be as goal oriented and to just step back and love it for a season, I think is a really great thing. And if I, if I do decide to keep going, then yes, there will be big goals for sure. Cause again, that's the way I'm wired. But right now I'm in this season of just absolutely loving it and making sure that I can be in it consistently um, and still, still striving to get better. Well, Pursuit Peeps, you all are amazing. Thank you so much for the awesome questions and topics. Thank you for the kind words that were dropped in there saying that you admire my hard work. Um, Just lay your wisdom out there. You're a blessing. Thank you. You are all so sweet and precious to me. Make sure you subscribe so that you get an episode every time it drops. We're going to have more amazing athletes, coaches, experts coming soon. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.